You are listening to a sermon by Tanner Sherlock. Visit chialphashatternstate.com for more info. Before I get started, I want to say I, get, I took a lot of this sermon from uh, John Bevere and Matt Chandler, and so I want to give them credit for it, for a few of the quotes that I will have in here. And so as we all know, this, this coming Sunday is Easter. Easter is an important day in your walk with Christ, and uh, in my opinion, it's, it's more important than even Christmas. And so, um, we've been doing the Who is God series, Who is Jesus series, and uh, today we're going to be doing Who is the Holy Spirit. And now, you might be asking how we're going to tie in Who is the Holy Spirit into Easter, and so you'll have to pay attention to figure out how I make that tie, but I really feel like Who is the Holy Spirit is going to wrap up this series perfectly, and it's going to tie into uh, the Holy Week amazingly. And so, to give you guys a little bit of a groundwork, um, you know, I know a lot of churches have kind of gone away with the traditions within Christianity. And now, I grew up in a church that uh, that did all of the traditions almost in a ritualistic way. And so, when I became a Christian, I, I completely did away with all of the the ritualistic type traditions. And now, since then, I've kind of realized that some of the ritualistic traditions that that occur in church were originally created for a very, very good, valid reason. And so now I've kind of come to the conclusion that I realize that there is a very delicate balance with the traditions of the church and the purpose of them and what their benefit is and not allowing that to become a ritual, but at the same time not just throwing it out. And so today I'm going to talk a little bit about this whole week in history. Now, like I said, Sunday is is Easter, and so um, I'm going to start with Sunday and work my way backwards throughout the week, because there's a very important point that I want you guys to get with me going over the, the Holy Week. And so this whole week, from Sunday till Sunday, is considered Holy Week. And so... Those of you guys that didn't grow up in church or grew up in a church that had completely done away with all of the rituals might not fully understand Holy Week. You might not understand certain days within the week and how they occurred. And so for you guys, this would be fresh information. It will be awesome. And for some of you guys that grew up in a ritualistic style church, this will just be commonplace. And maybe you were like me and you've completely thrown it, uh, thrown it out. Or maybe you're still at a point where it's, it's ritualistic for you. And so we're going to go through those today to kind of give you a backstory as to why a lot of the rituals are um, done the way that they're done. So like I said, we're going to start out at the end of the story. The end of the story is Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It's not the day that Jesus died, as a lot of people believe, but it is the day Jesus actually rose from the dead. The day that the tomb was empty is Easter Sunday. And in my opinion, Easter Sunday is the most important day in your walk with Christ because the fact that he rose again, the fact that he was no longer stuck in the, in the grave, the, the fact that he, he conquered death proved to us that who he said he was, what he did, and what he was saying all along was 100% truth. If Jesus had stayed in the tomb, everything that he would have said would have been completely null and void. And we would not actually be worshiping Jesus because he wouldn't have conquered death and he wouldn't have been the Savior. So the fact that he rose from the dead 
is, in my opinion, the single most definitive, most important thing that occurred within his sacrifice. And so, like I said, Sunday is the day in which Jesus had accomplished everything that he set out to earth to accomplish. It's a day in which everything that had been done through Adam as far as sin was completely crushed. Easter Sunday is the day that that God redeemed man with man because Jesus was 100% man and he was 100% God. I know that's confusing to grasp, but God through Jesus accomplished everything that he had set out to accomplish. See, the cool thing with God is there's no plan B. Everything was set out. Everything is known. It's not like all of a sudden God was like, oh, crap. Mankind sinned and they fell, and now I've got to come up with this plan B, and I'm going to have to sacrifice Jesus. No. When God created us, he knew Jesus was going to have to be sacrificed. And so Easter Sunday is the fulfillment of that, is the accomplishment of that. It is taking back thousands of years of man's sin and saying God is still more powerful than our sin. And so if we go backwards a little bit, like I said, Sunday is the day in which Jesus rose from the dead. Friday is the day in which Jesus was sacrificed. Now some of you guys that know scripture and are math whizzes, you might have heard that there were three days in between death and resurrection. Now, where's the math there? Friday to Sunday, that's not three days. Well, if you think about Jewish tradition, Jewish tradition was they counted, instead of us counting midnight to midnight was a day, they counted sun up to sundown was a day. And so they would count from sun up to sun up, sundown to sundown as the day. And so Jesus was sacrificed on Friday, and so he was dead, and that's day one. And then he was in the tomb the entire Sabbath, which there's a little bit of symbolism in there if you want to look for it. Day two, he was, he was uh, in the tomb the entire day of Sabbath. And then on the third day, which is Sunday, he rose again. So it actually says on the third day he rose again. So that's how you get three days in between death and a resurrection. And so in continuing, backwards a little bit. So he was sacrificed on Friday. And, and um, that too is probably the second most important thing that occurred with Jesus throughout his existence because if he had not been sacrificed we obviously know and so going back one more day it's Thursday Thursday is called Maundy Thursday Maundy Thursday is also known as the day of the last supper and so the last supper is the meal in which Jesus ate with his disciples it signifies a very important part of the narrative because during this, Jesus called out the person who was going to betray him. Jesus told the disciples how they were to remember him. Jesus laid the groundwork in order to, to determine what the disciples were going to do. And so with this, with the, the, the last meal, with the last supper, there's something that occurred called communion. And as you guys can see, we've got some small group leaders passing out communion. Don't eat it and don't drink it. Leave it on your table, and we will get to it in a little bit, and we'll do it all together. And before, I pre- or before we do this, if you're not comfortable doing this, 
and, and this isn't something that, that you feel comfortable with, feel free to say no. Um, and if you are not a Christian and you know you're not a Christian, I also ask that you would pass on this because Scripture advises us against taking of what we call the elements if you are not a believer in Christ. And so we're not condemning you. We're just saying we just ask that you would say pass on this. This is something that Christ on the day of the Last Supper told the disciples, told them to continue doing. So this is one of those ritualistic things that I was talking about. One of those things that, that can become a ritualistic if you're just doing it to do it. But if your basis of it is in Scripture and in understanding what Jesus meant by it, it is a very important thing in which Jesus actually told us to do. Now the fact that all of this occurred, now this, this Thursday, this upcoming Thursday is the day of the Last Supper. Now, I know this, all this history stuff can be boring to you guys that know it, but there's something kind of cool with the Last Supper. It is also the same day in which the Jews celebrate Passover. If you remember from my sermon last semester, Passover was a big celebration to the Jews because it signified it was a celebration of God bringing them out of Egypt, bringing them out of slavery into freedom. And so it's important that, that the Last Supper in which all of this is occurring and all these Jews are in Jerusalem for the Last Supper. Thanks, man. All the Jews are in Jerusalem for the Last Supper and, and a lot of this is taking, um, taking place over the day of Passover, over the celebration in which, like I said just a second ago, if you caught it, was a big celebration because it signified the transition from slavery into freedom. And now all the Jews are gathered in Jerusalem and there's something that's going to occur that is going to bring them from slavery into freedom. And it's so important that it occurred over the same point in time. And like I said, there's symbolism there. And if you want to look more into it, it's there. The Jews at the time of, of, of uh, Passover, what it was was the Jews were told to take a lamb and sacrifice it. This lamb had to be the firstborn lamb without blemish. It had to be perfect. A little bit of symbolism there if you want to find it. It's there. So this lamb had to be absolutely perfect. And they would take the blood of the lamb. Again, symbolism. They would take the blood of the lamb and they would mark over their doorways. And basically what occurred then was the angel of death would come and they would pass over the Jews' houses as God was bringing wrath down into Egypt because the Egyptians refused to release the Jews. And so this was the, the final blow to the Egyptians in which their, their emperor, their king, finally said, okay, we're going to release the Jews. But judgment had already come upon Egypt. And so, if you guys are all ready, first grab your bread. First Corinthians 11.23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So now take the bread and eat it in remembrance of Jesus. And in case you're new to this, and this is something not familiar to you, I will tell you what I think of before I take the bread. What I'm thinking of before I take the bread is Jesus' literal body. His literal human body coming down to earth as God. He came down to earth. 
He had an actual body. This is the body that he sacrificed for us. This is the body he lived in. This body was fully man. And it signifies Jesus coming down as God and becoming fully man, which in my mind is almost as big of a sacrifice as what comes next with the blood. And then I thank him for that. Thank him for coming down to earth and taking on the form of mankind. So let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Now taking your juice, drink it in remembrance of Jesus. If you are new to this again, I like to think of Jesus' literal blood. The literal blood that he shed, which happened to actually cleanse us, which in my mind was the second sacrifice that he came down to earth to do. And then I thank him for the grace that even though we're sinners, his blood still cleanses us. Go ahead and drink the juice. The reason that this is important in my mind, especially this week, and I know we don't do this in Chi Alpha often, I wouldn't mind doing it more, but the reason it's important for me and important to us as Christians is because this is Holy Week. This is an extremely important career or, uh, week within our Christian walk. And I know we tend to, as Christians, put a little bit more emphasis on Christmas than we do Easter, but in my honest opinion, Easter is more important than Christmas. Because, obviously. And so what I like to do while I'm taking communion, in case you're new to this, again, I like to think about it and think about Jesus in a deeper way than I do throughout the week. Throughout the week, I will thank Jesus and I will serve Jesus and I will have conversation and, and I will pray and I will do these things and I will read my Bible and whatever it is. But when I take communion, there's something different because I'm stopping for a second and I'm realizing and I'm, I'm taking into account that Jesus was a literal human being on this earth. That he actually walked among mankind thousands of years ago. And I take a second and I just I, I make sure I grasp that for even just a moment. I think about it in a deeper way than I do throughout my week. And then when I, when I drink the juice, like I said, I, I think of it as literal cleansing. And I take, I take a moment and I think about it in a deeper way than I normally do. That his sacrifice, he literally shed blood for us. There was literal blood shed. And it was actual blood that was, that was mopped up and, and, and uh, sponged up. And so when I think about it as, as that way, I think about it a little bit deeper. And it becomes a little bit more important to me to take seriously what I'm saying and what I'm praying throughout the rest of the week. And so the reason we do this, and I think the reason why Jesus thought it was so important that we continue to do this in remembrance of him, is because he realized that we can stop for a moment, stop our daily life, stop, get off your phone, get off, you know, do whatever you're going to do. And you take a moment and you purposefully set out a point where you say, you know what, this is important. This was real. This was something that actually happened. This is something important that you told us to do. And so I'm doing this because you told us to do it. And so we can think about it in a way that just becomes a little bit more powerful when we do communion and when we, when we put communion within our lives. Luke 19, 41 says, As he approached Jerusalem, and now, oh, sorry. So continuing back to our, our process in Holy Week, we're now backwards to Tuesday, which is today. 
This is the day that it is believed that Jesus proclaimed his judgment over Jerusalem and wept in the city. Luke 19.41 says, As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, If even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you died, not recognizing the time of God's coming for you. In my mind, this day, today of the Holy Week, Tuesday of the Holy Week, is so important. And I keep saying that every day that I mention is so important. And the reason why this is so important is because within Scripture, what Jesus is saying is he's standing over Jerusalem. He is saying, if only you believed, if only you would believe. And he's weeping for them because he knows what is coming against them. And it's important because God is saying, right then and there, saying, everything I have come to do, I am accomplishing. And time is up. Time's run short. You're in or you're out. And he knew that Jerusalem was out. And he knew that Jerusalem was going to sacrifice him. He knew that the Jews were going to sacrifice him. And so it's important because he knew what was coming. It's not like he just accidentally stumbled upon, uh, stumbled upon the crucifixion. He knew what was going to occur. And then as we back up in Holy Week, we end up on Sunday, which was last Sunday, which is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the day in which Jesus entered into Jerusalem. He did so on the back of a donkey. When he did this, a large crowd had gathered. This large crowd were throwing down their cloaks onto the ground, throwing down the, the leaves of branches, believed to be palm branches, onto the ground so that the donkey's feet, the feet of the donkey that he was riding, wouldn't be touching the ground. And while they were doing this, they were chanting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna is defined as an, or an expression of adoration, praise, or joy. Now the reason I wanted to go backwards in this story, and the, reason, the, the one thing I wanted you guys to grasp a little bit was, how do you get from Jesus ascending and Jesus being crucified from this? From this little excerpt that we get to see of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on Sunday and with a crowd gathered chanting Hosanna, Hosanna, proclaiming their adoration, proclaiming their praise for him as he enters into the city. How do you get from point A to point B? How do you get from Hosanna to traitor? And the reason is simply this, and this is what I wanted you to grasp and why I went backwards with this. The answer is simply this. One group knew exactly who Jesus was, believed him, because Jesus is walking among all of them. And so you could be saying, oh, it would be easier to believe in Jesus if Jesus was walking among me. These people, Jesus was walking among both parties, both the people proclaiming Hosanna and both the people proclaiming traitor. Jesus is literally walking among them, doing miracles, healing people. One group knew exactly who he was and believed in him and believed what he was saying, and the other group simply just did not. 
See, the thing with Jesus is he either had to be 100% right or 100% wrong. There is no middle ground. There is no, he was a good teacher. He was either fully God or he was a crazed idiot. There is no in-between with Jesus. The things that he was saying, the things that he was proclaiming, the things that he was doing, there's no way that he could have been a little bit right. There's no way he could have just been a good teacher because a good teacher doesn't proclaim that they're God. A good teacher doesn't proclaim the coming judgment among people. And so how the Jews responded to him at at that point in time is the exact same way people respond to Jesus today. We are either proclaiming his goodness, his godliness, his perfection by shouting Hosanna. And if we're not doing that, we are doing the other side, which is shouting traitor. There is no gray zone. You are either fully on with God or you are fully off. There's no riding the fence when it comes to Jesus. You're either fully in or you're fully out. And so the way we would respond today would be just the same as we would have responded back then. We're either proclaiming Hosanna or we're shouting traitor. And I know you might be sitting there, maybe maybe two of you remembered what I said right when we first started, but you might be sitting there thinking, how does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? I'm glad you asked. You guys are pretty good at asking the hard questions. Turning your Bibles to John 14. If you guys remember, last week we were in John 14 also. And we were talking about Jesus who was comforting the disciples. And he told them to keep their eyes on what was beyond this world. To keep their eyes on something bigger. That he was leaving this earth. He was comforting them because he had just told them that he was leaving this earth And he was going to prepare a place in heaven. And we talked about instead of having our own righteousness, that we should have Jesus' righteousness. And we should believe fully in his righteousness above our own. Now there's going to be quite a bit of reading here. So if you don't have your Bibles, it will be up on the projector. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will even do greater things than these. I'm going to start over again. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. Did I not just say that that Jesus was raising people from the dead? There were miracles occurring. And he's saying, if you believe in me, you will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. I'm going to read that again. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you will know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. I'm going to read that again, verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them 
is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, I think this is kind of hilarious because Judas is saying, if you're going to write my name in there, make sure you don't identify me as that, that traitor, Judas Iscariot. Judas, not Iscariot. It's very important, is it not? How would you like to be known as if Jed was the traitor? Jed, the traitor. You'd, you'd have to write down Jed, not Iscariot. <laughs> then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I will give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father. I'm going to read that one more time. Verse 28. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad glad that I am going to my father. I'm going to word it a different way. He's saying you would be glad that I am dying. You would be glad that I'm going to the father for the father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen you will believe. I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me which is Satan but he comes to and I'm going to read that again. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. So in case you doubted it for even a second, Satan and God are not equal opposites. Satan and Jesus are not equal opposites. Satan literally has no hold over Jesus. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. I know that was quite a bit of of scripture, but I wanted to go through all of it. And as we read last week with Jesus was telling them, and this is all that Jesus began telling him, and this is how Jesus comforted the disciples after he said he was leaving. You know, remember how last week I said, basically the disciples learned Jesus was leaving and it just absolutely wrecked their world. He then followed it up exactly with this because I continued off in scripture where I left off last week. This is how Jesus comforted the disciples. And so you can go through this in a simple trek through Acts. You can become to realize, you can come to the conclusion, you realize how important the Holy Spirit is upon Jesus' leaving this earth. How important the Holy Spirit is to the natural process, the natural progression of Jesus dying, ascending, living on earth for a short little while, and then saying, I'm leaving, I'm going to the Father. How important that as soon as Jesus leaves, that the Holy Spirit is coming. He wants the disciples, he makes it very clear that there is someone coming who will continue to help them. If you look in Acts, Acts 1 starts off with, 
Jesus ascending into heaven, and Acts 2 is the Holy Spirit coming. There is a very quick and a very natural progression that comes with the Holy Spirit coming. If we established that Jesus was who he said he was, he is who he says he is, and he did what he said he did, and we believe him, we love him, and we keep his commands, those verses that I repeated a couple times, then we have to believe that he had to leave so that the Holy Spirit could come. We have to come to that conclusion because in this just short little snippet of Scripture, it becomes very important, and it is very important to Jesus that the disciples know that the Holy Spirit is coming. He repeats himself two or three different times within this short little excerpt, this short little chapter. If we believe him when he said, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will keep doing even greater than these. We begin to realize how important the Holy Spirit is to that statement. How important the Holy Spirit is to that statement. Because last week, as if you remember, I talked about how we really have no righteousness. Our righteousness is rags. Isaiah proclaimed that his righteousness was rags. And I guarantee Isaiah was a better man than me. And he's saying his righteousness was rags. That means my righteousness is rags. So if my righteousness is rags, how can I do greater things than Jesus? As I proclaimed just a short little while ago, Jesus did many miracles, healed many people. Awesome things happened everywhere he went. So if we have established that, then we have to come to the conclusion that the only way that better and more important and and bigger things, not more important, but bigger things than what Jesus was able to accomplish has to be tied to the importance of the Holy Spirit. Because how can we learn these things? How can we do these things? How can we proclaim these things? How can we achieve these things if our righteousness is nothing and Jesus has left this earth? How can I have someone to teach me if Jesus is not here to teach me unless I begin to understand how important the Holy Spirit is? And so, the fun part about the Holy Spirit is as believers, as men, as as human beings, as Christians, as whatever you want to call it, we have this nasty habit of turning the Holy Spirit into that creepy uncle who shows up at a party that, that we know is an adult, but nobody really wants to talk to. And so we'll talk to the real adults. And so that creepy uncle is over there just being creepy, and we just kind of talk to him when we have to. But in reality, we want to have the conversation with the, the real aunts and uncles that we proclaim and, and we claim. As believers, we kind of have that, that tendency of turning the Holy Spirit into that creepy uncle. And the reason why I believe that is because immediately when I say Jesus Christ, you think of Jesus, you think of Savior, you think of sacrifice, you think of conquering the grave, you think of healer, you think of all these awesome things. But as soon as I say Holy Spirit, a lot of times we think of prophecy, healing, tongues, word of knowledge, whatever the gifts of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit may be that we can remember, that's immediately what we think of when we hear the word Holy Spirit. But today I'm going to tell you something. And in case you haven't fathomed this before, the Holy Spirit is a person. He is one of the Trinity. 
He is a being just like Jesus, just like God. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not just some wispy thing that comes and goes and is, ooh, and gives us weird powers. And That's not the Holy Spirit. The more that we can fathom, the more that we can wrap our minds around the fact that he's a being, he is a part of the Trinity, he is an equal part of the Trinity, as soon as we can wrap our minds around that, we will stop treating the Holy Spirit as, Holy Spirit, come, empower me, give me your power so that I can serve God. And we'll start thinking of him, if we can think of him as a being, we'll start realizing, we would start saying, Holy Spirit, what can I do to serve you? Not what can you give me to serve God, but what can I do to give myself over to you, Holy Spirit, the being, the part of the Trinity, the equal part of the Trinity. We just read that Jesus said, he said in Scripture, and if you refute this, I'm going to encourage you, go back and reread it again, because Jesus says this. He says he is sending the Holy Spirit to help us, not serve us. He's sending the Holy Spirit to help us. In 2 Corinthians 13, Paul says in his letters, may the grace of God, or the, may, may the grace of Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Communion, that, that word communion. No, it's not like the communion we just took. It is a different kind of communion. The word here for communion is koinonia. Koinonia. Koinonia has three major definitions to it. The first definition is fellowship. So Paul is writing here, we are to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Wait, fellowship's that word that I talk about when we leave here and we go to McDonald's and we hang out and we have fun and we have conversations and maybe that conversation will lead to Jesus. Maybe it will just be something completely different. That fellowship, yes, that is the exact same fellowship that I'm talking about. We are to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Koinonia. The second definition, major definition of koinonia is, as I said, fellowship. And the second one is partnership. Wait a second here. We're supposed to have a partnership with the Holy Spirit? How does that happen? Partnership's definition is taking part in the undertaking with another. So equally, when we ask the Holy Spirit to empower us, we should equally be giving ourselves over to him saying, how can I serve you? It is a partnership. It is not a dictatorship. It is to be a partnership. But so often we treat the Holy Spirit like we own it, like we are the dictator, like we get to tell the Holy Spirit what to do. But in this simple verse, the word koinonia means partnership. And the third definition, fellowship, partnership, and intimate relationship. Intimate relationship. That word relationship that we often use to describe our spouse, our significant other, our wife, our husband, I would define that as an intimate relationship. We are to have that intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And the communion 
of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And the intimate relationship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So what is the Holy Spirit? If we determine that it's part of God, it is an equal part of God, it is in being, what more can I tell you about the Holy Spirit? Can I start off with this? To reduce the Holy Spirit to just the gifts, just the fruits, just the signs, just the miracles, just the empowerment that He gives us is to rob us of the power and the presence that the Holy Spirit can have in our lives. If we reduce the Holy Spirit down from God, down to this mystic thing that does miracles and does these signs, if we reduce Him to that, it robs us of the true power of the Holy Spirit and what He can do through our lives. Acts 13.2 says, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. I don't know if you caught that there. But I'm going to read it again. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Not God said, not Jesus said. The Holy Spirit said to them. The Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit speaks to us as believers, as Christians, as people who have given our life to Christ. As people who believe in God, believe in Jesus, believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. How can we know His voice If we're not speaking to Him. How can we be in a partnership with Him if we don't even know His voice? One of the biggest things I've learned with my preaching, and this is something that you can take and run with also, something I've learned with my preaching is those days in which it seems like my sermon is just not coming to me. I've read it over it a thousand times and it's just not imprinting on my memory. And I stop and you know like the WWE wrestling tag team championship, I stop and I tag the Holy Spirit and I say, hey, Holy Spirit, take over this. You're in control because I can't do this. I can't even memorize this. I can't even read this. I'm so distracted. I've got nothing. Those sermons are the sermons in which everybody comes up to me afterwards and says, man, that was some awesome preaching. That was good. I needed that. That spoke directly to me. That was exactly what I needed to hear. That was so amazing. That's those sermons. The sermons in which I had absolutely nothing to do with because the Holy Spirit took over, and I allowed him control over my sermon. Then sometimes I'll have these sermons which I spend a ton of time on, and I memorize almost every word of it. I could probably go back and re-preach that exact sermon because I studied it so well. And I almost have this attitude like, you're good, Holy Spirit, You're, you're good. I got this, don't even worry about it. Those are the sermons in which I look out and half of you are on your phones and the other half are sleeping. And I get done and not a single person comes up to me and says, hey, that was a good sermon. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? I killed that thing. I had every word memorized. That was powerful. Because I completely set the Holy Spirit on the back burner and I said, don't worry about this. I got this. Now, the best sermons are the sermons in which I prepare like that, but yet I still give it over to the Holy Spirit and allow Him His will and His way through it, but that's another time and another place. But if we can come to the conclusion that we are to have a koinonia relationship with the Holy Spirit, 
how we reach people, how we talk to people outside of this room will completely change. So what I'm saying is the same thing I explained with my sermons, how I tag the Holy Spirit and allow him to take over. How do you think you're supposed to spread the gospel? You're not supposed to be able to do it. You can't do it. I don't know who told you you could do it. I don't know who said you were powerful enough, mighty enough, and smart enough, and clean enough, and without sin enough. I don't know who told you that you could do it. Maybe you watch too many gladiator movies. I don't know where we got that. Because we can't. But the Holy Spirit can. And so while you are reaching out to people, while you are sharing the gospel, while you are trying to reach this campus for Christ, we have to constantly be in a tag team relationship with the Holy Spirit. And when we reach out to someone and and immediately we feel like, hey man, this guy needs to hear about Jesus, we tag the Holy Spirit and allow him 100% control because we can't do it. We allow the Holy Spirit to move in that, to take over, to teach us, to, to use us. We give our authority over to him. Now you might be sitting here telling me, well, Jesus didn't do that. If Jesus didn't do it, why do I need to do it? I'm going to tell you that you're wrong. Because in scripture, who do you think led Jesus out to be tempted by Satan? It actually says it, and you can go back and read it if you don't believe me. It says that Jesus was led out to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by Satan. It also says many times that that Jesus would go out into the wilderness, would go out onto His own, would go and leave the disciples to spend time with the Holy Spirit. And while spending time with the Holy Spirit, He was spending time with His Father. So yes, Jesus did spend time with the Holy Spirit. How many guys know that person in your life that just... I don't know, you don't know why they don't like you, but you just know they don't like you. And like, while you sit down at dinner with them, they'll talk to everybody but you, it seems like, every time you go out to dinner with them. Or you'll be hanging out with a group, and they will purposefully sit on the other side of the room. And you have no, absolutely no clue why they just can't stand you. Anybody? I know, I have a few, I guess you guys are more righteous than me. I make a lot of enemies as a pastor for some reason. I don't understand that either. I think the Holy Spirit can feel that same way when we're intimate and having that intimate relationship with Jesus, having that intimate relationship with God, but we completely put the Holy Spirit on the back burner. But how do you think you get from point A, being a sinner in this world and and lost and trapped and stuck and frustrated and, and annoyed and prideful and whatever else you you were stuck in how do you think we get from point a to point b if jesus isn't here teaching us if i said i'm not righteous jed's not righteous reuben's not righteous how can any of the three of us teach any of you guys anything it has to be with the holy spirit it absolutely has to be with the holy spirit has everything to do with the holy spirit How can we be more like Jesus if Jesus isn't here to teach us if we don't have the Holy Spirit to teach us? So we have to stop throwing the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to the topic of the Holy Spirit because like I alluded to before, 
immediately when you walk into this place and you hear the word Holy Spirit, you think one of three things. You either think, yeah, that's that dude that's mentioned after the Father, the Son, and then the Holy Spirit, that, that guy. You either think that or you think, oh, this can be an awkward sermon. Or, oh, this is that kind of church. Great. Or you think, all right, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be off the hook. When you walk into a church and you hear that we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, one of those three things immediately comes to your mind, I guarantee it. In some capacity or another, it might not be worded exactly that way, but one of those three things comes to your mind. And the people who are most often turned off, who have that second reaction, are turned off so because of somebody weird doing something that they claimed was the Holy Spirit. But can I tell you a secret? That weird person was weird whether they were claiming it was the Holy Spirit or whether they were claiming it was Jesus or whether they were claiming it was a spaghetti monster. It was a weird person. Don't throw the Holy Spirit out just because a weird dude taught you something wrong. There are weird people in this world. How many of you guys work with somebody weird? (laughs) But yet when it comes to church, we'll hold that weird person accountable for what the Holy Spirit really is. That doesn't make any sense to me. Do we hold weird people responsible for teaching us something wrong about Jesus that we knew was wrong? Do we hold that weird person accountable for when they talk about us to something about God and we know it was wrong? But yet when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we automatically will identify the Holy Spirit with that weird dude that did something weird. I don't know what it is to you, but to the people who have been turned off by the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, have been turned off so because of somebody weird. Don't let that weird dude ruin the Holy Spirit for you. That, dude, that weird dude doesn't have anything to do with it. Because when we think of Jesus, like I said before, when we think of Jesus, we think of Savior, we think of righteous, we think of all good, we think of powerful. But when we think of the Holy Spirit, we immediately can go to that, that weird dude. Where we go to that weird teaching that we might have heard or, or maybe something we just don't agree with that somebody else taught us. But the thing is with the Holy Spirit, and it's so important that you guys grasp this tonight, because a few weeks ago I talked about who was Jesus, and then I talked about who was God, or the other way around, I can't remember. Tonight, when I'm talking about who is the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to go into the gifts, I'm not going to go into the fruits, I'm not going to go into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, any of that stuff. I'm just laying on the basics of who the Holy Spirit is. No matter what you believe about the gifts or the fruit or, or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I don't care what you believe in that area, you have to come to the conclusion that it is important in our walks to respect and to realize that the Holy Spirit is a part of the Trinity, He is a being, and He is an equal part in our walk as the other two. And so I'm not going to go into any of the stuff that, that you might disagree with or the things that you might think is weird or anything like that. I'm not going to go into that tonight. If you're interested in that, I would love to have a conversation with you separately in a different time, a different place. And I would love to give you more resources as to the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But like I said before, if you reduce the Holy Spirit down to just those things, you are missing out on such an opportunity for the real power of the Holy Spirit to be evident in your lives. So tonight, I know I've done this like five weeks in a row, and you guys might be getting tired of it, but I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. 
So tonight, if you're sitting here and, and you're telling me you honestly have never given your life over to Jesus Christ, you've never accepted him as your Savior, you've never given your life to him in any way, shape, or form. And tonight you're saying, I, I want some of this. I want this passion. I want this relationship. I want, I want his righteousness. I'm sick of struggling with my life. I'm sick of struggling to get by. I'm, I'm sick of this world. I'm sick of my friends, my family, whatever it is, whatever you're struggling with. And you're just saying, I need hope. I need something to hope for. I need something bigger than the things that are around me. And you know I'm talking to you. I'm going to ask you to do something for me. And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And the reason I'm asking you to raise your hand is because I'm, what we're saying here tonight is that you're just admitting, you're just simply admitting that there's something more. And it's a very first step. And what you're saying is, I would like to feel this thing out. I'd like to feel this process out of getting to know Jesus. You're not saying, I'm going to join this weird Chi Alpha cult. You're not saying all of a sudden you're stuck in, in this religion. It's not an end all, but it is a beginning. And so if that's you and you know I'm talking to you, I just want you to raise your hand for me. Tonight, if you have given your life to Christ and you would like to rededicate your life to him because maybe you haven't been living right, maybe you've been struggling, maybe things just haven't been going good, and you're saying, I would like to start new with Jesus. I'm giving my life over to him again. Maybe you did it in the past and you've strayed away. But tonight you're saying, I want to give my life to you, Jesus. And you know I'm talking to you. And like I said, it isn't an end all. It is just an admitting that, that you're wanting to start back on that path. If that's you, raise your hand. I see your hands. You can put them down. And lastly tonight, and... and if you know you've always treated the Holy Spirit like that creepy uncle, or you've been turned off by the Holy Spirit because perhaps someone weird taught you something that just didn't sit well with you. You're saying here tonight that you've, you've treated the Holy Spirit like something out there, something weird, something that wasn't equal to God and wasn't equal to Jesus and wasn't, definitely wasn't a being. If you're sitting here tonight and you're saying that you've been avoiding the Holy Spirit. You've been avoiding the topic. You've been avoiding Him. And tonight you're saying that you would like to grow closer to the Holy Spirit. You're saying that you would like to admit that maybe what you've grown to believe isn't true. And like with giving your life to Christ, what you're saying by raising your hand is, I would like to learn more about the Holy Spirit. I would like to start fresh. I would like to admit that maybe what I believed isn't right, and I would like to start fresh tonight. And you're saying you want to begin that relationship with the Holy Spirit. Can I have you raise your hands tonight? I see your hands. You can put them down. And like I reiterated, and I'm going to reiterate it again. If you raised your hand, if you raised your finger, if you raised your hand high, if you nodded your head, it doesn't matter. What you're doing is you're taking that first step. It's a process. It's something that you're going to have to walk out. If you raised your hand, just know this is something that there's people here who are willing to and want to walk this out with you. You don't have to go it alone. But if you raised your hand and you're, and you're wanting something more, whether it's 
to give your life to Christ, whether it's to rededicate your life to Christ, or whether it's to get to know the Holy Spirit on a totally different level that you didn't even realize. I want you to know that God knows that you are raising your hand. God sees it. And so tonight what we're going to do is I'm going to have you guys pray with me and pray after me and pray this prayer with me. And this prayer isn't some weird weird cult thing that all of a sudden you're going to be ritualistically into Chi Alpha or anything like that. This prayer is, like I've said, said again and again, this prayer is the beginning step. This prayer is you admitting that there's something more there that you would like to have that relationship with. And so if you guys can, everybody, whether you raise your hands or not, repeat after me in this prayer and make this prayer yours. God, I accept your sacrifice on the cross, Jesus. I accept that you came to earth and died for the redemption of my sins. I want to give my life to you. I want to serve you. And I want to know that Jesus had to leave so the Holy Spirit could come. Holy Spirit, I would like to grow with you. I would like to get to know you better. I would like to be discipled by you. I would like to be in a koinonia relationship with you. Help me with that. Help me to serve you. Help me to grow in you. Help me to live my life for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And now, to, to finish off my sermon tonight separately, if the fruits of the Spirit and the gift of the Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit is something that does interest you and you would like to know more about it, come up, talk to me. I will have a short conversation with you. I'll get some resources in your hands. I'll get some, some scripture into your hands. I will send that stuff to you so you can to learn about it and you can read about it and you can figure out what you want to believe with it. And if you have questions, I would love to answer your questions because I wouldn't feel right talking about the Holy Spirit without talking about that. But like I said tonight, I didn't want to make it the focus of my sermon because I really feel like with the Holy Spirit, there is so much more than the things that, that just benefit us with Him. And so tonight, I just ask if, if maybe perhaps tonight we can all agree on one thing. No matter where you're standing with the Holy Spirit, no matter whether you believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit or you don't know what I, the heck I'm talking about, no matter where you're at in that spectrum, can we all agree that we would like the Holy Spirit to have His way with Chi Alpha services? Because that is my heart above all else, that the Holy Spirit would have His way in here. And so next week when you guys come back, or the, the, the following weeks throughout this semester, I want us to come in here with that mindset, that this service is the Holy Spirit's. It's not something that I'm going to get out of this because I'm going to worship and I'm going to feel good about myself and maybe Tanner's going to, to preach a sermon that's going to, to make me feel better or maybe help me fix something in my life. But we come here with the understanding that we're going to grow with each other in relationship with the Holy Spirit. I really think that God can do so much bigger with Chi Alpha if we can come in here with that mindset. And so I'm asking of you guys, if you guys can come in here and you can guys can take out take from here and go into your personal lives and continue that mindset of, Holy Spirit, how can I serve you? God, how can I serve you? Jesus, how can I serve you? Rather than what it benefits us, I really believe we'll begin to see miracles on this campus. I believe we'll see 
the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the, the other things that I, I didn't talk about tonight, I believe those will come from us having an intimate relationship with, with the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Have your way on this campus. We ask that you would have control in our lives because when we are in control, we manage to just screw things up. Holy Spirit, we ask for miracles. We ask for gifts. We ask for the fruit. But most of all, we ask that you will have your ways within our lives and within our ministry. We love you and we thank you for your koinonia relationship with us. We know that Jesus had to leave so that the Holy Spirit could come. So this Easter, Lord, I just ask you would help us to remember both the importance of Jesus' sacrifice and what it really means to believers. And help us to remember that the reason he left was so that you could come and have your way, Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you. And it is the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we pray.